Good morning. Our scripture reading from this morning is from Genesis chapter 22. So we've got 18 verses, so settle in. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The, father, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mr. Gr uh, Luke. Sorry, different elder. That's, that, that is head elder Luke. I just like naming them. It makes me smile. Anyway, uh, we're going to dive in, but we're going to pray uh, because this is a complicated text, and I don't want to screw it up, so let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you're good. Uh, you are a God worth trusting in. Lord, as we uh, continue to uh, reflect on these words, as we look at the whole story of Abraham and, and see what you're up to, Lord, I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you challenge us. But ultimately, Father, Lord, we pray that we end up closer to you uh, on the foundation of who you are and what you are doing. And then we pray, amen. So, a little background on this sermon series, Trials of Trust. Uh, AJ had graciously said, hey, I'll take the next sermon series. I'm like, go Team Jesus. And then I got COVID. And so I'm, I'm sick. I'm pretty much out of it. And I get this email from Adria while I'm sick, like, hey, here's the sermon series I'm thinking of doing, Trials of Trust. I'm like, okay. I look at it in my, you know, fever haze, and I'm like, yeah, it sounds like something Jesus would say, go team, right? That's all I looked at. Uh, then this week, I was kind of catching up with some stuff, and on Monday, I looked at the sermon text he gave me. 
And I realized it was the story of God telling Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And my immediate thought of, well, thank you, AJ. What a kind and generous way for me to start off a sermon. Really simple text, right? Easy to understand, very applicable for parents, right? Like this is directly how you're, no, right? This is one of those sections of scripture that is complicated, that makes us uncomfortable. And sometimes in the Old Testament, specifically, it's a cultural issue, right? So there's actually a story of Abraham where God asks him to sacrifice a bunch of animals, cut them in two, and then he has to walk through them like a hallway. Really strange. And you're like, that's a weird part of scripture. But that part actually culturally makes sense because that was a way how you would make contracts with people. So sometimes in the Old Testament, when you're reading the Bible by yourself, it's literally a, I don't understand the cultural context that's happening here. That is not the problem with God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? That there is no cultural context that will help you better understand what God is trying to do in that specific command to Abraham. So to figure out what the point of this text is and how we as Christians learn from it, we got to do a little bit of homework. We got to do a little background so we can better understand what's actually happening in God asking Abraham to trust him in this moment. All right, so a couple of ground worlds first. All right, this explicitly is in the Old Testament. When you enter the uh, land the Lord your God has given you, do not imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their sons or daughters in the fire. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. All right, so first and foremost, in the Old Testament, multiple times, explicitly, God forbids the sacrificing of children. All right, so just to be really, really clear, that actually was a cultural context that was going on. Other nations, as a last resort, would sacrifice their children to these little g gods to hopefully get their attention. Right? So that was something that was happening. But throughout the Old Testament, God is explicitly clear, you don't do that. He forbids it. He actually says, if you do it, you deserve execution. Right? So the idea of child sacrificing being one of the commands of God's is explicitly forbidden in the Old Testament. So just really want to clear that up as a, hey, this wasn't like a, a regular thing that's happening in the Old Testament. All right, so continuing on. Uh, then we get into, okay, if it's something that we know, okay, this is, this is a one-off event, how do we start to look at this? Uh, some of you guys are new, so you may not have seen these, but a few years ago, we did a series called How to Read Your Bible. And we went through each of the different genres of Scripture, talking about how we can apply those genres to our lives. And at the end of it, we came out with this bookmark. And there's nothing overly spiritual about this bookmark. It's not the perfect bookmark, but it's a way to help us remember what genre of scripture we're in and what the overarching story of scripture is. And at the center of it, it says, scripture tells the story of God's plan to rescue and restore a broken world. That is always what scripture is leading up to. God's promise to heal and restore the mess that humanity has made. Right? And, and we still see that mess every day. 
We see it on the news, we see it in social media, we see it in our families, we see it when we look in the mirror. We live in a broken world, and Scripture is God's story, God's promise that he came to heal and restore a broken world. And that story is certainly shown in the story of Abraham. In fact, the story of Abraham is really where God's promise that that's going to happen starts off. Abraham's story starts in Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And then there's a promise in that blessing. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he sent out to Haran. God had made a promise that Abraham was going to start something new. That through God's family, he was going to create a descendant that would bless all of the nations. And that's the story of Abraham. And so in the Old Testament, the Israelite people, they saw their story starting with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That was from the lineage of Adam and Eve, but in Abraham, God was doing something new. He selects Abraham for a mission, and he says, your descendants are going to bless the entire world. That's the start of Abraham's story. Now, ironically, the start of Abraham's story starts when he's 75 years old. They are well into their grandparent age. This is when God starts Abraham's journey with him. Right? And his wife is 10 years younger, but still 65 years old. Right? They are the definition of a late bloomer when it comes to following God and what God has for their lives. And also in this time, they don't have kids yet. So, so think about that for a moment. Dude's 75, woman's 65. God shows up and he says, hey, guess what? Your family is going to be huge. Literally massive. But, but God, we, we don't have kids yet. He's like, yeah, I know. Don't worry. And then what we find, it takes a while for God to fulfill that promise. And so Abraham's story and Sarah, his wife's story, gets kind of complicated. They go through some stuff with God. Some good stuff, some complicated stuff. Like all of our lives, Abraham and Sarah sometimes try to take matters into their own hands. One of the funniest moments in scripture is when Abraham twice tries to sell his wife off as his sister because he's worried that the king is going to think his wife's cute. And so his response isn't to like defend his wife, but to be like, but if you say you're my sister he may actually like give me a dowry for you. Like we may actually get some stuff out of this. And she goes along. I don't know how long he slept on the couch afterwards or, you know, at that time, like outside the tent or whatever, but I can't imagine what that would, but like Abraham's story is one of face plant after face plant after face plant. But it's also one where God shows up directly and speaks personally with Abraham. He doesn't speak through dreams 
He doesn't speak through feelings or like, you know, I think God's calling me here. Literally, God shows up in Abraham's life. Sometimes God eats meals with Abraham. Abraham had seen God literally throw down fire from the sky and destroy cities. Abraham and Sarah saw some stuff. In a very strange time in their life, in the twilight years of their life, they had seen God act on their behalf to fulfill a promise that they would have this great nation, that they would have this huge family. But again, they still haven't had these kids yet. And so eventually, uh, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, you know what, like, I get that God said we're going to have a big family, but I don't think it's going to be through me. So Sarah comes up with this idea. She's like, hey, we have a servant. Uh, Why don't you sleep with her? Why don't you have a child with her? And then he can be our son, and he can be the promise that God gave us. And so they take matters into their own hands. I'm not sure if you ever do this in your life. I certainly take matters into my hands a lot. I'm like, I can fix this, God. Okay, yeah, I know you say you want good for me, but I'll I'll, I'll handle what good for me looks like. And so Abraham's like, okay, sweetie, I will do this. And he does. And I don't know if you can imagine the relational dynamics that happen there, but it's not really healthy, right? Eventually he has this child and Sarah's upset. God gets upset. He's like, this isn't the promise. And so it gets messy. And yet even when Abraham makes things messy, God's promise still remains, This is from uh, Genesis chapter 15. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. He said, look look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham's story is like all of our stories in the sense of there's a God who shows up in his life who says, I have plans for you, plans that you can be a blessing to everyone you encounter. I have a way for you. And everyone is in this room because in part and partial you believe in that. And yet as we work through that faith, as we go through life, we face plants. And we take matters into our own hands. We let sin into the story, and sin does what sin always does. The only thing it knows how to do is break down relationships. That's it. That's all sin can do. It will break down your relationship with God. It will break down your relationship with other people. And it will break down your relationship with the physical world. That's the story of Genesis. We let sin into the story, and all of a sudden, the marriage couple, they're fighting. And we're fighting with the literal world, the soil, with death, and we're separated from God. And yet, even in Abraham's mistakes, even when he's not faithful to God, God is faithful to Abraham. And Abraham is able to remain in God's promise, remain in God's trust. And eventually, they have the kid. 
Abraham was 100 years old when God fulfilled his promise that you will have a son. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old. But again, he had another child, he had Ishmael, and that relational dynamic between the servant and the wife was getting messy and hard, and Abraham didn't know what that meant. But God, even then, was still fixing Abraham's mess. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, but the Lord said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. God says, I'm going to take care of both of your kids, Ishmael and Isaac. They will both become great nations, but the promise of what I am going to do through your descendants will run through Isaac. This great nation that I promised you that will be a blessing to all people. The whole world will be blessed through Isaac's line. And that's really important in the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Because God had explicitly told Abraham, Isaac, the son is where the promise, where the future, and where the life is going to come from. And Abraham had seen God fulfill his promise again and again and again, even when Abraham was doing his best to get in the way, to, to jam up the story, just like how sometimes we get in the way of what God's trying to do, and yet he still is faithful to us and loves us and forgives us and opens a way forward for us. God fights for his people, right? And we actually get a little glimpse of what Abraham was thinking when God says, all right, I need you to go up to this mountain and sacrifice your son in the New Testament. One of the best ways to figure out problematic or uncomfortable texts in Scripture is to see if other areas of Scripture help translate what's actually happening. And in the book Hebrews, we actually get to find out what Abraham is thinking when God asks him this thing. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Why? Because he who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. And so here's Abraham's reasoning. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a matter of speaking, he received Isaac back from death. See, God knew what Isaac was, or what Abraham was going to think. God knew that Isaac was never going to be sacrificed. And he knew what Abraham was thinking through the situation. That there was a faithful God that had made a promise that your son is going to have kids that I'm not done with him yet. And so when God sends Abraham up to that mountain, Abraham doesn't know how God's going to fulfill his promise. He doesn't know how God's going to work, but he's willing to keep taking that next step, just the next step. 
And then the step after that, and the step after that, believing that a faithful, good God wasn't done with the story. And remember what I said. All of Scripture is telling the same story, how God will protect, rescue, and redeem a broken, messy world. And that all culminates in Jesus. And so what we see often in the Old Testament is God foreshadowing what's going to happen in Jesus. So if we're looking at the story through that lens, hold on, I want to go just a little bit further. Does the story of I need you to sacrifice your one and only son remind you of anything. Does does that foreshadow anything? That the nation that will be a blessing to all, that your descendants will bless the whole world through a sacrifice of your one and only son. It's pointing to Jesus explicitly a direct line from saying, hey, the way that this family is going to bless the world is going to be through a sacrifice. That's why Jesus' story in Matthew and in Luke starts off with a genealogy that points back to saying, hey, the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 12 that your family will be a blessing to the entire world directly connects to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so it makes perfect sense that in John's gospel, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, though, came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the only Son who himself is God and the closest with God in relationship to the Father, has made him known. Are you willing to sacrifice your one and only son? God asked Abraham. Because God was willing to do it. Our father was willing to sacrifice our brother to redeem and restore a broken world. The story of Scripture is very clear. It doesn't play pretend that everything is okay. And we know that. We know when anxiety starts to bubble up in us, when we're listening to the news, when we're seeing what's happening across the world, when armies are building up on borders, and you just start to feel your heart kind of constrict, where you get the phone call from the doctor that the test came back, or you're in a relationship and and you, you can watch it deteriorate in front of your eye. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that by ourselves, we were never going to be able to build a stairway tall enough to get us into heaven. 
And so God flipped the script. And he said, I'm willing to send my one and only son that you may have a relationship with me. That you don't have to be by yourself. How far are you willing to go, he asked Abraham, for this plan? Because God was willing to go to rather extreme lengths for us. And as we talk about trials of trust, the, the beauty of this section of scripture, because it points to Jesus, is that even when the world is doing the world thing, and it's broken and it's scary, and, and we look out and we're like, God, do you still have a plan here? The good news is we have a really good case study of how good God is making his plans work for his people. This comes from Romans. What then shall we say in response to these things, the chaos of the world, the brokenness of the world? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously, along with him, give us all things? we talk about trials of trust, we talk about what do we do when we don't understand what's happening. We look to Jesus. You know, when we think about all the injustice in the world, and when we talk about justice, the definition we use is biblical outcomes, godly outcomes to circumstances. Right? So good things the injustice that was done to Jesus, the one guy who didn't deserve it, right? The rest of us, we all add to the brokenness and the chaos of the world, right? Let's be honest. And again, I'm standing at the front of that line as Pastor Josh, not perfect. Add all kinds of brokenness to the system. If I were to die, I mean, I hope you'd be sad, but you wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, that is the worst injustice that's ever happened. Jesus was the guy who healed the sick, fed the hungry, who everywhere he went, it was literally rainbows and flowers, right? Everywhere he goes, things get better. And humanity looks at this man who came to love us, who came to teach us, who came to die for us, and we're like, eh. No, we're good. And not only are we good, but we really need to make sure we take care of you. So we put him to death. Right? That is the great injustice. In all of the plans that we have made as a broken humanity, that was the biggie. We took the one good guy and we sacrificed him. And God takes that horrible moment where humanity takes its best shot to take out God's hero. And God turns that injustice into the redemption and the restoration of all of us. We literally threw our best, or at this case, our worst at God. And he takes it and he goes, watch what I'm going to do. From this moment on, I'm going to redeem and restore everything. Every moment, I'm going to start to repair all the broken relationships sin has destroyed. First with us and God, that we can have a relationship with our Father, 
Literally, when Jesus breathes his last breath, the curtain that would separate God's people from God and the temple rips in half because all of a sudden we have a relationship with God. No, we don't have to worry about having intermediaries. We have a God who says, I want you, and I want to be in relationship with you, and I want to be your father. But then he starts to repair relationships with each other, the relationships that sin has marred. He says, hey, I want to start restoring those. I want to start reconciling those. And he says, look at the world For God so loved the world, Jesus says in John chapter 3, the cosmos. He goes, I'm going to start to repair that too, that will ultimately be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth, but it starts now. When we talk about trials of trust, when we look at the world or COVID or just all the broken political baloney, he says, look to my son. If I could do something good from that, trust me that I can do something good here and now. And the good news is just like with Abraham, it's not built on us doing it perfectly. The foundation that we stand on isn't our own righteousness, our own right relationship, but instead it's the right relationship we get because of the descendants of Abraham culminating in Jesus. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We're going to pray a little bit, and then we're going to go into a time of reflection in the Lord's Supper where we get to see how far our God will go to have a relationship with his kids. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, it's uncomfortable to realize how broken the world is. It's uncomfortable to have to be real with how broken we are. And yet, Lord, you are a God worthy of our trust. Lord, we pray that you continue to embolden us to see your son, even in the midst of the hurt and the chaos. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We continue our worship.